Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on autism, Answers, and I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host. And today we're going to dig up some answers like we always try to do. So you hang in there with us because you are going to have a fun, fun ride. All right, I have to admit right at the top of the show that, okay, 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 we're not going to do the great guest giveaway today. Instead, I'm going to interview two different people, both of whom are involved in the film industry, and we'll just sort of let it unfold for you. The first person that I'm going to introduce you to is involved in the film industry, and I met him. First of all, he's wonderful, so I like to have wonderful people on my show. And I met him a few years back when I auditioned for, actually, I auditioned for the film Indigo, um, did that film with Neil Donald Walsh, and we've talked about it in the past, and then swung back around on a trip, and I met our guest as he was producing and shooting uh, the Indigo documentary. And what was interesting about this is that I had this whole process, when I was first auditioning for the film and, and getting involved in the, the film before the documentary. I went to a live concert of the filmmakers, Neil Donald Walsh is there, Jimmy Twyman's there, um, Stephen, the director, was there. And I, I hear this wonderful concert and they all talk about you know, the connectedness and the spirituality and the indigo kids. And I see this girl or woman who's in a wheelchair and they call her grandmother. And grandmother is, from what I can tell, very much a cerebral palsy type of person, very um, affected in the wheelchair, and doesn't have any language, but can say yes or no and, and indicate things with her hands, as far as I can tell. I didn't spend a lot of time with her. Um, what was interesting to me is that she was being considered as someone who could the future, help you in all these, you know, very psychic ways. And so I got the idea that indigo children were children who were strongly afflicted, afflicted with their communication system and that then had these extrasensory perceptions. That was my idea. Um, I knew that the movie, it was a little different, but I assumed that that was just for storytelling. So when I met Kent, who is going? Who I'm going to introduce you to in a second. Um, we were doing the documentary, and and you know Jimmy, who also Jimmy Twyman, who was also part of this and and set this up, um, had asked me if I wanted to be interviewed, so I'm being interviewed. And I tell this story about my son, and I don't think I ever tell in the documentary that he's nonverbal. So I tell this story about I was going to have an, you know, I was thinking about having an affair, and I heard my son's voice in my head yell no, and I turn over and I look, and he's shaking his head no. And why I bring it up now is because I was involved in all these processes along the way, and still had a very kind of skewed or confused idea of what people meant when they were talking about indigo children. So I want to do a show today called Indigo or Autism, because most of the low, not so much low functioning, but language challenge ch children that I've met with autism have this extra sensory gift. Hence, 
I have asked Kent, who is an amazing person. He's a filmmaker. He's a student of life. He's always involved in the most interesting, interesting projects. He's he's for free come and help me to, to shoot my son um, so that we could get footage on him as he grows and changes through the years. Um, he's a great shooter. I'm excited to have him here. So Kent, Romney, hi. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How do you like that really long intro? I appreciate it and um, gave gave us a good basis for our conversation. Cool. Because really I did think that. I thought that um, that when they were saying Indigo Children, they meant because of grandmother and my own son, I thought they meant people like that. So it was quite eye-opening. Now, you, you worked on that whole film, right? I worked on the, the Indigo Evolution, which was the documentary that I was asked to um, help put together after the film Indigo was made. The, um, the producer, director, and writer of the uh, Indigo film um, came to me a year or so after that original film was released and said that they wanted to do a documentary, that a number of the people that saw their film were, um, how do we say this, a, a bit disappointed in the, the editorial license they took on the topic of what is, what is an indigo child. So they wanted to put together a documentary. And after a, uh, uh, a period of time, they asked me to go out and with uh, a bit of autonomy, because at the time I didn't know what an indigo child was. Um, I'd heard the term and kind of uh, this comical vision came into my mind of, of blue children. <laughs> so, it's like they have so the blue I, man group and they have the indigo children. <laughs> I, I was quite uh, ignorant of the topic, um, was a bit uh, pessimistic and cynical of all things uh, new age or, or metaphysical. So I couldn't think of a better person <laughs> than me to uh, for them to ask to go out and, I, and research. Okay, first of all, I have to interrupt you. I am shocked to hear you say that you were a bit pessimistic and suspicious of all things metaphysical, given that I know the kind of projects you've done since. So this is going to be a really fun show. Go on. Please continue with your story. Okay, thank you. So um, it was with that bit of cynicism and <laughs> skepticism that I set out and uh, uh, basically set out across the country, Central America, interviewing people from um, other countries, um, asking the question, what is an indigo child? And just let that uh, story start to tell itself. And I, when I was first asked to do this, I was presented with a pile of books by a number of authors um, that tried to dis describe what the phenomenon of an indigo child was. And so I plowed through that pile of books and, and got some of a, um, an intellectual understanding of what these researchers had are, are, are trying to put forth as to what the indigo phenomenon was. And um, loosely, you could describe, they describe these, these, these children or these people um, of having certain uh, basic characteristics. And I, I found it quite interesting that as I, I set out with this list of criteria, and, and other indicators um, that I found uh, quite a few people met the criteria. 
And it was quite an interesting journey. It opened my eyes, and not to be a spoiler, but by the time I had finished this um, eight-month filming project, my, um, my ideas, my opinion on the whole topic had shifted a whole 180, degree, 180 degrees. How interesting. You know, okay, so first of all, what's the criteria? And secondly, shifted to what? Like, describe maybe a, a story of somebody that you met that was interesting in this way? Absolutely. Well, um, there was a, a, a couple that, that co-authored a book um, uh, 10 or so years ago. That was uh, Lee Carroll and John or Jan Tober. And they are kind of looked to um, among among others as some of the people to bring this concept into the mainstream. Um, what they described in one of their books called The Indigo Children, The New Kids Have Arrived, um, was they had, I think it was about 10, 10 criteria. And if you want, I can briefly, quickly go through these, these 10 points of what sure. their definition is. Okay. So they describe these people as coming into the world with a, a feeling of royalty and often act like it with that attitude. Um, the second was that they have a feeling of deserving to be here in this life and are surprised when other people don't share that view. Um, they went on to say that uh, their self-worth is not a big issue. They often tell parents who the parents are. Um, they also have difficulty with absolute authority. <laughs> I found that to be very true. So far, um, I'm an indigo. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and they describe that as authority without explanation or choice. Um, they said that uh, they simply will not do certain things. For example, waiting in line is very difficult for me. I think I fall into that category. <laughs> Um, they get very frustrated with systems that are ritual-oriented and don't require creative thought. They're often, um, they often see better ways of doing things, um, both at home and in school, which makes them seem like system busters. They don't like to conform to, to any systems. Uh, they seem uh, antisocial unless they are with their own kind. Um, if there are no others of like consciousness around them, they often turn inward, feel like no other human understands them. School is often extremely difficult for them socially. Um, the second to the last item is they will not respond to guilt discipline, such as wait till your father gets home and finds out what you did. I remember my mother saying that to me frequently. Oh, yes, that was, that was <laughs> <laughs> only at our house. It was, wait till your mother gets home. <laughs> you know. And the last of, of the 10 uh, criteria that they list, and I by no means does this, um, should this mean that it's limited to 10 criteria, but in their list, they st stated that they are not shy in letting you know what they need. So they're very uh, um, outspoken. Um, they okay, so I have are, to say right away, because of the mm -hmm. way, the style of what you're describing, mm -hmm. I can see where especially Asperger's people really do fit. Um, so I, I can see why I had this confusion of autism and, and indigo, and maybe there isn't a confusion. Maybe there is an overlap. So, sorry, go on. 
Well, you know, there there appears to be an overlap, and I by by no means am an expert on the the spectrum of autistic presentation. Um, but I, I have having um, a ten year old son who easily fits all of those ten criteria who was having some difficulty in fitting in at school and um, feeling like he, he fits in with the group of people that that uh, he was socializing with. Um, you know, the oct- autistic spectrum of, of behavior and way of perceiving the world was definitely one of the things that we were looking at in trying to, let's say, give him a label um, <laughs> to describe right, right. Why he Why he is have. how he is, yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh, and by uh, the way, how many children do you have? I have seven children. There you go. He almost has as many as me, but not quite. I still almost. Wait. Okay, go on. <laughs> not quite. So it, it's been an interesting um, journey for me having made this film um, back in uh, 2005, uh, and it was released in 2006, and then um, uh, raising my son. and. Um, it, it's it's been a, a a really interesting journey in in understanding what this is, and and I I do have a number of of close friends that whose children do fall within the the autistic spectrum. So um, I've had an opportunity to to be around those wonderful um, children and um, socialize them, interact with them on on you know, a normal day-to-day basis. Yeah, you're quite wonderful with them. Um, so did your son get a diagnosis? Um, he did. It, uh, one of the things that they wanted to rule out was something, um, you know, in, in the autistic spectrum. Um, yet it was determined he, he had another condition, um, ADHD being one of them. Um, so, but it, it did give us a, a, a wonderful opportunity to 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 work with him and know how um, this special child, what his special needs are um, within the world, and more importantly, how he perceives and relates to the world around him. And I, I, I think that's one of the things I would like to talk about um, during our conversation. I'm going to come right back and you're going to talk about that. Um, we yes. are speaking with Kent Romney. He's a filmmaker, student of life, amazing friend, um, has done some really interesting projects, which I'm sure we'll never get to, but we'll give you the website on. Uh, coming up, we are not going to, okay, 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 have the great guest giveaway today. We're going to have a second person who also works in film and is um, occasionally on touch. So we're just having a look at the concept of autism or indigo we're just kind of fleshing that out and playing with it a little bit and at the very end hang in there because we will have stories from the road to try and wind it all up and we're here with kent and he's going to tell us about how his son kind of weaves into this story all right thank you (laughs) hi we're back so um I, I I suppose what I would like to to focus on here is, um, and not necessarily focus on any one group of of, of people, is and I, because I think this concept of relationship relates to all of us, and it, it's interesting 
how, as you look at your own life and you look at how you relate to the world around you, how you relate to the people around you, your, your interpersonal relationships, how you relate to yourself and your awareness of the feelings, the thoughts, the interactions that you have pretty much defines how you see the world and perhaps how you're seen by the world. So perhaps we could discuss this a little bit. Oh, yes, let's do that. So what <laughs> okay. do you want to say about that? Well, it's it's been interesting. Um, you, you mentioned about how this uh, experience that I had with producing and directing and filming this uh, documentary about about indigo children and by no means is it a a full all-encompassing study of, of what the topic is it's just merely I believe an introduction and if people really want to understand what the concept is they can do research they can go onto the internet in various search engines type in what is an indigo children do a search on that and come with all kinds of amazing information um, but I, I think what is is, is most important is, is to understand um, how we individually and as a group of beings interact with each other and interact and relate to the world. Um, you know, as, as, as I sit here in my living room in this chair and trying to be present in, in my physical body and understanding that... Um, you know, as science and phys modern physics is leading us to believe that the the basic particles that make up the existence around us is 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 pure energy that has come together in relationship with other energy particles to form the physical world around us to to form our bodies um, to form the the world that we're in and we have a relationship in our physical energetic form with all those other physical forms around us and perhaps non-physical forms. So this study or, or, or living in this, this world as, as I perceive it now over the last uh, six, six or seven years after um, my experience with this movie has, has brought me to the point of, of looking at what is my relationship with the world? How do I perceive it? And how aware am I, how present am I being in each walking, waking moment through my life? And that pretty much um, defines um, who I am and what I am in the world. Okay. And, Go on. And it's kind of interesting that as we're relating with other people and other, other beings that come into contact with us, you know, we have to keep in mind is, what is their present situation? How are they relating to the world and the people around us? How do they communicate? What are the senses that they're using? And we have to understand that perhaps they have a whole another set of uh, senses and ways of interacting with their world that are perhaps just different than the way we interact. So as we, we interact with other beings, other people, um, we have to understand that language of how we're communicating and how they are communicating, making oh sure God. that we can find a commonality in our communication so that we can truly communicate and relate to each other. Okay, that was beautiful. 
Not only that, but I've been trying to say that a million, you know, for like pages and pages in my book. So <laughs> you said it really well. Um, in addition, you know, when I was listening to you, one of the things that come up for me and have has in the past is the whole romanticizing the disorder and um, indigo children. When I first thought of it, I felt like, oh no, now that I know what it is, they're just they're going to make it again like the TV version of, you know, autism. And for goodness sakes, it's it's you know this whole other thing. But the way you just described it, Kent. If we see it like that, it doesn't matter what you call it. You can call it ADHD, you can call it indigo, you can call it autism. If we're just seeing it as everyone has their own senses and perceptions and ways and we're trying to find the language of commonality amongst us so we can relate and communicate, then we don't have to care what it's called. We don't. We really don't have to care. And we, as human beings, we have a tendency as we, um, if we decide, if, if we make that decision to navigate through life using our intellect as our primary co- compass, then it'll take us to a place of, of wanting to place labels. Yet if we add in that perhaps there's another way of navigating through life, that perhaps it can, our, our, central point of navigation can be from our heart, can flow from our heart, and allow our intellect to, to step back and, if you, be, if you will, be logistical support for our heart, for our compass, then I think we can easily and gracefully navigate through life in relationships with ourselves and the other beings, the other people around us. Okay, well, that was brilliant advice, and I can't imagine that you have anything to top it with, but this is the point. I have, like, we're already over time and I could talk to you all day. Um, so this is the point where I say, you know, what do you want to leave people with and what website would you like them to check you out on or, or do you want to plug something or what do you want to share? Well, in in terms of, of sharing information, if, if people are interested in finding out a little bit about my work, um, they can go to my website, which is kentromney.com, and shows some of the projects that, that I've, I've been, been working on. Um, but most importantly, I would encourage people to really look within themselves and understand how they are per- perceiving the world around them, and gently suggesting that as they're interacting and relating to the people around them, and most importantly to themselves, um, I think it's most important to develop a good relationship with yourself before you can have a a relationship with anyone else out there, um, is to really start listening to your heart. Slow down, take a break, and listen in in a still silence. What is your heart telling you? What are your feelings sharing with you? Well, my heart is telling me that your seven kids are lucky that you're their dad. And uh, <laughs> I already knew I thought that way, but I, I think I just listened to you in a new way. And I'm, I'm most impressed and I'm really happy that you were willing to come on the show. Thank you, Kent. And I'll put your link um, in the page so that people can go and check out your stuff. Well, thank you, Lynette. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. All right, okay, 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 okay. Instead of the great guest giveaway today, we have another guest. 
His name is Iyad Hajaj, and as the universe provided him to me, it goes exactly with the theme of the day. Seriously, I um, I don't tend to research and go out there and try to find the best guest because I am so friggin' busy. Instead, I say, here, universe, please bring me the best guest. Give me what I need. And I think that that's a perfect thing to admit to, given the, the theme of the day being autism or indigo. So just recently, I was promoting a, a particular thing I was trying to do, and I got connected to this wonderful man who has a foot in both camps. So one foot is in the camp in the history of his life. He was a physical therapist, and he worked in psychology, and he worked for around eight years with special needs kids, physical and mental challenges. In addition, he's moved to Hollywood, and he's become an actor and a producer, and he was recently um, in an episode of Touch, which is causing all kinds of stir in the especially Asperger's portion of the autism community. So uh, I thought it would be a great way to close the show, to bring him on and to ask him a couple of pertinent questions to the subject. So, Ed, hello and welcome. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. And, and do you think I covered it well? Was that a good introduction or would you like to add something to that? No, you really covered it well. It was very detailed. Oh, perfect. I do my best. Okay, so here we are. I have a couple of questions I'd like to ask you. First, can you please tell everybody a little bit about your experience on Touch, like what character you played, for example? Um, uh, as you probably know, Touch, um, they usually connect a few countries together in each separate show. And in that particular episode, I played a Saudi man, a father of a teenage girl. And uh, it's so connected to America through just a very small phone call between Saudi Arabia and New York. And a man had to rush to the airport for his, to, to go to his wife that was having a baby. And uh, while he's running, a bus was going to hit him. The bus braked. And then there is a woman inside the bus with a gun against somebody's head. The gun fell off, and then somebody's life was uh, saved. So uh, that's the connection between Saudi Arabia and, and America in that episode. But uh, yes, I played Arabic, and they had us speak Arabic on, on the show. Oh, that must have been fun. Yes, I like it when I speak my own language. Oh, of course, it must feel comfortable. And who does the translating? Um, a friend of mine, his name is Sam Sackle. Um, I did my own translation, but he is the official translator and the consultant for the show. So we go by what he tells us to say. So whether we like it or not, we have to say it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So here, see, I, I, what, the reason I thought it was so exciting that we we're going to touch on this subject about touch um, is partly because it's being talked about so much, but also because of this whole idea that when you have autism, or especially Asperger's, you have a special skill that somehow helps you to navigate the world in a different way. And they're sort of capitalizing on that in this show, although, you know, that outcry did sort of change whether they said it was autism or not. Um, what is, have you seen the whole, a whole episode of Touch, or were you just someone who got hired and went in and did a, a piece? 
Um, I I had a a decent chunk on the show, but of course I read the script many times before I went on the show. Okay, and so with with your experience of working with kids in the past and working with people that have challenges, do you have thoughts about creating a show that brings this sort of thinking to autism that says? or mutism, or Asperger's that says, wow, you know, you, you're going to have special powers in the world. Do you think this is useful, or do you think it's not useful? What are your thoughts? Very. And honestly, I was very excited when I uh, understood the theme of the show and understood the purpose of the show. We have given somebody or a kid with a, an autistic condition so much credit and they deserve it because they can do things and they can see things a lot more than we do, normal people. Um, uh, working in the past, I've seen people look at autistic kids as a child who does not know anything and they should just sit in the corner and shake their head or back and you know, put their hands together. Today, we have seen this kid as a, somebody with autistic you know, um, condition not just sitting. He doesn't like to be touched. He has the same behavior. But he, we, the show shows him with this tremendous ability to see the world and the universe and connected people together and, and saving their life. So the show had give, you know, given justice to, to these kids. Very cool. And did you ever work with somebody that you thought had a very peculiar or very special way of seeing the world that made it so that they knew things um, that someone else wouldn't maybe know something before it happened or motivations amongst people? No, I have not experienced this myself as to the world or the universe, but I uh, work with a few um, adults and children with autism, and they were so clean and neat and organized. They were so polite. They, they had certain or some behaviors, but they never hurt anyone. And I always thought that they were looking straight ahead, but they can see the whole room. Like observing them jumping, all of a sudden going to one corner of the room or the house, organizing everything that they thought was very disturbed or disturbing. And then they go back, sit, and do what they're doing. They, they can see things, but they appear that they don't. Yes, I agree. I agree. I think, I think that they have like a an energy sense and, and peripheral vision that could just knock our socks off. <laughs> All right, well, you know what, honey, we don't have really actually any more time, but that was really awesome of you to add your perspective. Before I say goodbye to you, is there something special that you would like to share with the audience, some, something that you know, is your, your message to the world? Because you've got a lot of parents and... Um, you know, and professionals listening to this. So if there's something from your life experience you think that you could help them with, please do share. And then if you have a website or anything you want to share, do that as well. Um, first of all, I, I just want everyone to, that either has a kid or a neighbor or somebody on the street with some needs, whether it was mental or physical, please look at them as a human being and look at them as somebody who... God may have given to you to test you on this earth, but maybe this person has a higher um, level than you are or you do in the hereafter. God 
test us. So please uh, treat them as uh, a human being, let's say, as a person, regardless of their abilities or disabilities. Uh, again, my name is Iyad Hajjaj. My website is www.iyadhajjaj.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And thank you for saying your name again because I was afraid to get it wrong. <laughs> I said it right at the top. No, you said that right. All right. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, that was Iyad Hajjaj and Kent Romney all on the subject of autism and indigo. Or maybe I should have called it uh, touching on touch. Um, at any rate, I wanted to right now go to Stories from the Road. Okay, I've got to make this all make sense here. And I think that I have the most perfect way to do that. I love the idea that we see people on the spectrum as special, unique, capable, differently perceiving. I do not love the idea that that means we take a hands-off approach. And if a person doesn't appear to want to be touched, when we touch them, we stop touching. Instead, I would say try touching different. And I say that because, in fact, all the kids I work with love to be touched. But sometimes not in certain parts of the body. The chest area is often an issue. The neck, um, squeezing shoulders can be great. Squeezing feet, squeezing. They love contact. But in the places that feel comfortable, that enjoy it, and in a way that feels comfortable and that they enjoy. And that is normal. I'm the same. When I meet somebody, well, I'm not normal, but <laughs> when you meet somebody and you're looking for a mate, you know, how he touches you says a lot about whether you match. And that's true of parents and children and all relationships. I love that Kent said, we are in relationships. So let's jump off from there. I met a boy that, um, that sort of capsulizes this whole story, or this whole concept. And when I first met him, I was walking up to his home, and he was standing inside the fence looking at me. And we made eye contact, which you know, for him I was to discover was quite unusual, solid eye contact. And he said, you're finally here. Now, I've had that sort of thing happen a few times. I sometimes feel like, you know, the movies where all of the talented, strange, uh, connected psychic people are happening all over the world and coming together. And, and there have been times with other children where I've come and I've arrived and they've said something that's kind of eerie, as if they've been waiting for me. So that doesn't always happen. It's not like that's a given. But in this case, it did. So I walked up, and I had a chill down my back, and I'm like, I guess I'm supposed to be here. And there, in the beginning of his program, I'm doing play. We're doing neurofeedback, the things that I do. And in the beginning of his program, he's, you know, he's coming out of his shell. There's a couple more psychic, strange, interesting things, like I'm in the other room, and I'm watching someone else that I'm training work with him. And I go, in my mind, I'm going, no, 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 not that. And he looks at her and goes, no, 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 not that, in my exact tonality. Many, many things like this happen with this boy. And as he begins to talk and come out of his shell and be happy to be embraced and stop trying to break the windows and jump out, 
because unlike what Iad said, I've seen many autistic people hurt people. Um, as he changed, he, he became so conversational, we became the best of friends. Then I got really busy, and I left the family with stuff to do. And I went away, and I'm working with other families. And then I get a call to, to come back, sort of an, a panic call. And what had happened was he had started, they'd taken him on a trip, and he'd, and he'd gotten this thing about numbers from hotel doors, and he had covered his entire house, much like in the, in the show Touch. He was using numbers all through the house and pasting them all over the walls, and he was talking less and talking less. And what they had done was they had seen this special talent, and they had treated him as if he should be revered. And they had pulled back, and they had stopped asking for connection. And they'd gone, he knows, he knows something special. And so he lost, he lost something connected. And that is what I see as the danger of romanticizing this. I think that Kent said something really neat, um, and he said it off air, so I'll tell it to you. The, one of the girls that he met while doing the indigo thing, uh, he was talking to her, and you know, she was saying how everyone has these talents. Everyone has these abilities to see the future and, and understand the past. And she said, we're just here to remind you of them. And I thought about that because it, it, it's sort of a relationship piece, and I, I think that we're here to remind each other. The student and the teacher both learn from each other. So when we stop teaching, teachers teach. Parents are teachers too. Teachers teach. When we stop teaching because we're revering the awesomeness and we just follow the child without also asking the child to learn from us, we break our end of the bargain. We are not then doing what we are supposed to be doing. We are not doing our part. So remember, revere, love, embrace. But teachers teach. Do your part of the bargain. When I have seen people just follow the child, like this boy in question, they go in circles. And Lynette Louise, this is a new spin on autism, answers, and thank you for being here. I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself, spinning in circles and talking to myself, spinning in circles and talking to myself, I can't hear.